the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal, we take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy, and... We're back at the Conscious Life Expo 2024. Yeah! All right. So for those of you who haven't followed our many other exploits at the Conscious Life Expo, it's this amazing collection of crystal healers, alien contactees, vaccine deniers, channelers, tarot free, card free readers, energy machine purveyors, um, CBD oil supplement salesmen. Some classics who we've met there, Shakun Tali, Kimberly Meredith, Jimmy Church, Deborah King, Cher Jolene. So many wild characters. It's almost overwhelming, this collection of people so individual and strange that converge upon the LAX Hilton every year in Los Angeles. And have been doing it for over 30, over 30 years. I'm repeating what they said. I don't know exactly how many years. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. This year, we wanted to see some of our favorites and see some new folks. And you went to attend this talk by Whitley Strieber. Whitley Strieber, a fave of mine. The inventor of the cotton gin. Nope. Nope. You have it wrong. Okay. Oh, that's Eli Whitney? Yeah. Is that right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Whitley Strieber is a professed UFO abductee who wrote one of the most famous and impactful abductee memoirs in English-speaking history. Yeah, we've talked about Betty and Barney Hill's incident, which I think was the first published abduction experience. But I feel like Whitley Strieber's Communion, Mm -hmm. which came out in 1987, really did put the idea of alien abduction into the common parlance, into all of our collective minds. And you all may remember the iconic photo, not photo, the iconic (laughs) painting on the front of the book, by Ted Seth Jacobs of this gray alien. Though, really, uh, Carrie's got her copy of the book here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I would describe him as a gray, maybe kind of a very light yellowish gray. Yeah, Uh, but but that is how he's described. But with those big almond-shaped black eyes. Mm -hmm. And maybe he's outsized in my mind, uh, Whitley Strieber, because this was just right in the era when I was really getting into UFOs. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing that image and it just seared into my retinas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I feel like a lot of people maybe our age also remember that so strongly. One of my former co-workers at the James Randi Educational Foundation Mm -hmm. also kind of got into organized skepticism, as they'd put it there, um, because he was at one point terrified of UFOs as a kid. Mm, And mm -hmm. he also has this very scary association with this imagery as just like still kind of spooky to him if his eyes passed over it. At the time, I was very much a Christian, a Mm -hmm. a believer, and I had this kind of working theory. Many other people have floated versions of this that aliens were demons. And Mm -hmm. this was 
some sort of thing that they were running on the side to kind of oh, freak people out. Right, yes. And, oh, the Cristiano brothers. Oh, do they yeah. have that kind of... Okay, well, definitely that image stuck with me. And then I was really into the X-Files, which came a few years later, and all these documentaries that would feature various depictions of the gray aliens. But yeah, that cover always stood out. And I've got to confess, I've never actually read Communion. So I just started reading it for the first time. And I was going to ask you if we wanted to have our listeners vote on whether they want us to pause and hold everything for a communion book review next week or would they like us to move on are they like we know enough about communion the memoir okay but if they're interested i'd halt and read all of communion this week yeah i'd gladly do that all right we'll we'll put up polls on facebook and x okay cool yes x an X poll. As I'm editing this, I'll have to go X. do that. But I remember when we went to these conferences and I realized that Whitley Strieber himself was appearing, I thought, oh my goodness, wow, what a get. You yeah. know, the guy who wrote Communion. And it turns out, I think he's just kind of made sort of a secondary career out of making appearances like this. Yeah, the like, conference circuit. Like if you're a, an actor who's been in Star Trek, you've got mm-hmm. now a, a lifetime's worth of appearances at various booths and photo opportunities. Similar to Travis, the guy who, he was an abductee who had a movie made after him. Yes, Uh, we met him at the Ozark Mountain Conference. Fire in the Sky, I want to say is the name of it. Yeah. Travis Walton. Walton, that's right. Yes. Yes. So similar thing where, yeah, you have this one experience, your book takes off, and boy, you're you're the golden child until you go. Not the Waltons of Good Night, John Boy. Right. Yes. Thank um, you for differentiating, like Wikipedia. Don't, <laughs> don't that was my this with the Waltons. That was my disambiguation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For anyone who's like, exactly. I only know those Waltons and the Waltons who own the Walmart company. Yeah, He's yeah, also no. not related to them, as far as I know. I appreciate it as someone whose brain will stop and say, <laughs> "Is that related to Walmart?" <laughs> okay. Speaking of Whitley Strieber's written output, he's got over forty books. Over 40? Over 40, because I counted 41, but there were okay. others that didn't have covers and maybe other language translations. Okay, I, this I, is a good reason. I didn't get to the bottom of exactly how many over 40, but I feel confident saying he's written. Okay, people, take note <laughs> of proper use Carry approved. of over 40. Carry approved use of the over. All you have to do is sit down with me and explain it to me for 45 seconds, no matter yeah. what piece of media I have encountered. Just like I am now over 40 years old. <laughs> yeah, okay, yes. Well, that's. Yeah, that's just true. And just like I often say with L. Ron Hubbard, you have the fiction and the acknowledged fiction. Right, so right. So Whitley Strieber has written many, mm-hmm. I think, successful books that are science fiction, but then he has other ones like Communion that he says are based on his real experiences. We've talked about him on the show before. Yeah, And just listeners, you may have this binary in your mind of like, well, it's true or it's made up. Remember, there's the third category, author means it, Mm -hmm. but there are reasons to think they're misled by the wrong narrative, the wrong internal coherence is running through this story. Indeed. Whitley Strieber was promoting a new book that he's written. The, The talk was named after as well called Them. Yes, 
So I was stoked when I knew he was coming back. Mm -hmm. I have so much affection for Whitley Strieber. I wanted to be listening to another talk at the same time by Del Bigtree. So we'll talk about that later. But one of the magical things at the conference is that if you wait around, they have this booth where they sell DVDs. So they always have someone in the back of the room. I say always. They don't record everything that goes on there. Not the free stuff. They've got someone in the back with a video camera. And then later on, you can find these DVDs that they've quickly pushed out. And I've seen these like computer towers they have with like 12 DVD writers in them. Oh, wow. Where are those? They were right by the booth on the Monday when I came back to buy more. But I think usually I think they've got them behind the scenes and they're just pumping Uh out all these discs, slapping labels on them, sometimes just Sharpie writing. It has to be a monumental effort to quickly turn all of these recordings into DVDs. The quality is not always great. Someone with a little camcorder at the back, you kind of get what you get. Yeah. I've bought DVDs that are blank. Uh (laughs) Oh, you have. Okay. Yeah, they just did not successfully complete the process. And so you drove back to the Hilton, you paid $60 to park, you walked in and you said, (laughs) this is blank. So at the end, we're often trying to see if we can find some of the talks that we attended or ones that we really wanted to. And it's like $10 per DVD, but if you get six, then it's only 50 bucks. A steal. Yeah. Or you can pay a hundred bucks. More. Anyways, bought a lot of DVDs. Yes. That's what I'm saying here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a perfect way to break our brains and make sure we buy every single thing and then a few more. Yeah. And there's always themes each year, just breaking away from Whitley Strieber for a second. Yeah. Like, I noticed there was a lot of astrology this year, mm. probably because it's Year of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems to be making a big deal out of that. And a lot of light language. Yes. New, new buzzword, light language. I'm really excited for us to cover light language. Yeah. That's I'll, interesting. I'll just tease that it's speaking in tongues, but for the alien crowd. Oh, is that what it is? spirituality crowd, yeah. Oh, it's like, okay, glossolalia. Yeah. Okay, whoa. It's wild. There was some wild stuff that happened this year. Did you get to witness it? There was one talk we were going to go to, and then we at the last minute changed. You were, know the one. you were going to a light language talk. Damn I was going it. to a different light language talk. And then we ended up at this. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly where we ended up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have a lot to I, say. We'll have a lot I don't even know say. how to briefly summarize that. <laughs> the vibe guy. Yeah, yeah. The vibe guy. Dr. Vibe. I'm about to give his book to my best friend because it's her birthday today, Claire. <laughs> happy birthday, Claire. Happy birthday, Claire. Can you read this for me and tell me about it? I don't want to interact <laughs> with Dr. Vibe in my head again. Oh, I got signed up for the texts from him. And it, oh, yeah? it was fast and furious at first. Thankfully, oh. they've calmed down a bit. Okay, we'll talk about that. So yeah, other themes in conscious life. Good question. Good question. They even had a room called the rabbit hole where they sent all the conspiracy yes! theorists. I felt like that was too on the nose. I know. I almost the felt like metaphors. They, would find, they would find that maybe insulting or something. Oh, you're yeah, putting us exactly. in the rabbit trail room downstairs. <laughs> right, right. It's off hard the beaten to path. find. <laughs> yeah. Good luck getting yourself out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we did see more listeners at the show this year. Yep. It's always fun. I saw 13, I think. Of course, we show up so you don't have to, but you still can. You can. You can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot of DNA talk this year, okay. I think. Yes. Yeah, that's become DNA activation. Cellular memory. Various sounds and meditations and things that can affect and improve your DNA. 
Lots of talk about trauma, but I would say usually now more as a secondary, like a supportive okay. topic instead of like that's the, the primary one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got us a, a healthy dose of self lo- self love. <laughs> well, good. Uh, it's <laughs> fascinating just to see themes that emerge, and I know soon we're going to be telling you about contact in the desert mm-hmm. that we attended, and there was a lot about AI there, and I was surprised. Yes. There were certainly some here, but I was surprised that AI wasn't a bigger yeah uh-huh. uh, theme as I had expected. Uh, also, I've been pulling all the talk titles together in a text document, mm-hmm. and I'm running them through a word cloud generator. Oh, smart. So I'll show you hopefully next time we meet to just... Oh, cool. And will it be weighted by number of times used? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah so cool. I'm just curious to see the visual for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. So, okay. Anyways, yeah, we were at Conscious Life Expo, and Carrie was here in the room for the Whitley Strieber talk titled yes. Them about his new book. I watched it many times on DVD later. You watched it many times. I did. Oh, wow. Okay, thank you. At least three. <laughs> okay, I watch, but I like, I'm pausing every 10 mm-hmm. seconds, so my process is very dense. There's kind of like the the watch it, and then the watch it and take notes, and yeah. then the watch it and clarify certain things. Uh, like, yeah. what did he say here? Mm, okay, yeah. So here's how it was billed in the program. Whitley does a deep dive into the nature of individual communication with the entities he calls the visitors and explains why there is so much secrecy surrounding their presence. This presentation is based on his book, Them, and the extraordinary revelations that have been made in 2023 in congressional hearings and elsewhere about their capabilities, their bodies, and our government's hidden struggle to understand. Whitley Strieber is the author of Communion, one of the most iconic books in the literature of the unexplained, and the best-selling nonfiction book on UFO-related subjects in history. Wow. His most recent book about alien contact is Them, published in 2023. In 2021, he published Jesus, A New Vision. I'm curious about that one. Yeah, me too. And in 2022, A New World. Everybody's got to co-opt Jesus. Christ opt. Yep. Both these books are follow-ons to communion that extend his research beyond personal issues of contact and into broader areas. He is the author of of over 40. Oh, hey. He doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Over 40 other books. Improper use. I'm glad that we converged on the same same description. Nope, the excuse goes for you and not for him. (laughs) (laughs) Including The Wolfen, The Hunger, and Superstorm, all, as with communion, have been made into films. Wait, all over 40? The ones that were just mentioned. Oh, the including. Okay, I'm going to use some copy editing, (laughs) but okay. This whole catalog could use copy editing. Yeah, fair. Again, to be fair, they've brought a lot of people together with a lot of wild descriptions of talks. Yeah. I'm sure that's quite an effort to get them all into that little printed catalog. Oh, Lord. I mean, once you've signed on to the whole operation of Mm -hmm. running this thing, you are making some moral calls in your... (sighs) Oh, man, in your daily life that I don't even want to think about. I mean, we'll talk about this is, I think, one of our favorite moments at the conference this year had to do with uh, someone announcing they were the Messiah. Yes. And I know exactly who you mean. I was a little surprised they allowed this Messiah to come give a talk at uh-huh. the conference, considering oh, the, the waves he's been making outside yeah. of the conference. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. We've got some good stories to tell. Anyways, yeah. they mentioned in the little byline about him, his research And I think in this talk, you're going to get a feel for what qualifies as his research. Yes, which I'm 
I'm legit excited about some of the stuff I learned from this talk about what he's cataloging yeah. and where he's cataloging it. Yeah. Again, we've talked about him on the show before, but people who don't maybe remember a lot about Whitley Strieber, this doesn't come up a ton in this talk, but he also had a wife, Anne. Anne. It's very sweet how he talks about her and remembers her, obviously just loved her with a great passion. And he has kind of found ways to sort of continue his communication with her. Yeah, she co-writes books with him. And we're not in the business of diagnosing people, but it does seem like he has some form of like maybe temporal lobe epilepsy, some sort of psychosis perhaps, where he does see and feel and experience things. And I believe that he does experience these things. Yeah. Uh, But then he runs them through this kind of understanding of the world based around shadowy visitors to our planet. He often thinks that Anne visits him in the form of a white moth. So I always think of that when I see a mm. white moth. Anne's visiting you as well. Yeah, yeah. As yeah, I, as we said in our last episode, apparently when you're beyond the grave, you have the ability to influence the flight patterns of various insects. <laughs> right. So she continues to help him write his books. And I think she is kind of a hidden piece of this whole story in a lot of ways. And she'll come up a lot here. And Whitley Strieber himself is a tall white gentleman. Uh, he was wearing spectacles. How old is he? He's in his 80s now? I'm just going to guess early 70s. 78. Oh, late 70s. Okay. Yeah, and he has a very like a very good speaking voice. Mm-hmm. I'd listen to an audio yes. book read by him. Oh, yeah. He has a podcast called Dreamland. He's been doing that. Where... He said it's in its 25th year. Oh, okay. Yeah, Dreamland's pretty good. I like it a lot. Impressive. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he has a great delivery He's a very thoughtful speaker as he's building his sentences. He's Mm -hmm. thinking about them and unleashing them in this very controlled, thoughtful manner. Most of the the major talks at Conscious Life Expo, like on the the primary schedule, are slated for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And then there's kind of this secondary course of smaller lectures that are only an hour long, so they can be sort of back to back. Uh, But he was scheduled for the hour and a half. And the first 10 minutes were just tech problems. Yes, which he interpreted as <laughs> them fooling with him, which, which, which is super a common clever. thing. But it's a common thing we hear, too, oh, from these whistleblower types. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're down in the rabbit hole room or one of these UFO talks, they might jokingly or they might seriously say that the tech issues they are experiencing have to do with interference. Mm-hmm. It's like, really? At the mm-hmm. Conscious Life Expo, the government is delaying your talk with or aliens. seven minutes of scrambling, <laughs> right. but then you get to give it what's the end goal there right right but he cleverly said oh this happens around me all the time i'm the reason why i think he means it we have three tech support guys up here trying to get my slides to work in the audio it's it's very hard to notice when you're the common denominator and Um, guess who introduced him I know this. Was it Alan Steinfeld? Yes, yes Alan Steinfeld. <laughs> He's everywhere. How does he do it? I don't know. We well, keep first, talking about him. I should also say this was $50. Oh, wow. Yeah, all yep. the all the prices went up this year. Yeah, I guess that's right. They were 40 before, right? Yeah, I think it used to be 40 in advance and then like, like 45, 45 if you yeah waited too long. And this year it was 50. And then if you were like me and you waited to the last possible minute to buy your tickets, it was $60 Whoa. per workshop. Oh, crazy. Yeah, okay. brutal. Well, waiting 
waiting in line for this talk, there weren't very many of us, but there was a, a woman who followed me from the disclosure lunch to Whitley's talk. Because oh. she saw me be the one brave enough to leave the disclosure lunch to be like, I'm hitting Whitley on time. So she Was she sitting at your table? No, uh-uh. Okay, because there was a listener sitting at your table who oh, wrote I, us later. Oh, no. Two, oh, okay. two. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, excellent. With, who noticed later? Who wrote us later. Oh, wrote us later. Who, oh, and told oh, us. Good. Oh, okay. I'll have to find them. Yeah, there were two listeners who yeah, nice. were, were definitely there. With you, and do we want to say yet? Um, You were sitting at a table with someone we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Whereas Whitley was sitting at a different table, but he got up to leave the disclosure lunch to be like, I have a talk, and a few minutes after that, I just got up. And anyway, mm-hmm. this other person followed, and she was saying that, oh, man, I said, are you a big Whitley fan? And she said, it goes beyond that now. I oh. just, oh my gosh, I've just watched like everything he's okay. ever made and, uh, you know, read everything he's ever written. I am largely here at the conference because of Whitley Strieber. Yeah, Strever. probably. Yeah. So she sat next to me. She was really nice. And as he was fumbling for the text, she was like, oh, yeah, you see, this happens. This happens to him. Once you get a narrative. So, yeah, that's Things working. fold into the narrative. And that yep. was working for her. So Alan Steinfeld, as you said, got up and was like, I basically said what you were just saying, like, yeah. hey, we have a hero. This is a big deal. In the room. Yeah, he's an important figure in this movement. And yeah, really, he is. Yep. Oh, he also said something interesting. Alan said he kind of nodded to the existence of others around Conscious Life Expo who make claims that he, Alan, is more skeptical of. Yeah. But he feels like Whitley, by contrast, is the real deal. And oh, man, I was like, who's he thinking of? For example. Yeah, you can't. He can't say that, but I'm like, come on. That's interesting because there's a moment later where it feels like Alan recognizes something that Whitley's taking a little too credulously. Oh, oh, we'll we'll get to it. Okay, cool. Flag it. Okay, so Whitley begins and he, he tells us that we are moving into Aquarius from Pisces. Good. Always hitting that age of Aquarius. It's coming. They've been singing about it since the 70s, but I guess it's finally (laughs) becoming real. Yep. He said the little fish is going to end up flopping around on dry land. Okay, let's extend that Pisces metaphor. Why not? Exactly. And so I think he was intimating that during this time, some we're going to get more visitations maybe, and some of those visitors are predators, but most Mm. of them aren't. Most of them are midwives and doctors who intend to pull this infant into a new world. He keeps referring to this new world. This is what's presaged by all of these visitations. And right, he kept using that birth metaphor Mm -hmm. uh, for us coming out, sort of kicking and screaming into the light and trying to figure out what we were in this new reality. And there was this quote he said with a lot of gravitas a new world, if you can take it. And he kept repeating that like yeah. a pastor or something, yes. quoting something from First Corinthians or something. A new world, if, if you, you can, can take, take it. it. Kind of pleadingly. And can we take it? <laughs> yeah, he, he gets philosophical every yeah. now and then where he'll remember all these weird little abduction experiences he's nodding to from himself and others. It's always leading back to this big larger narrative about our souls and this battle for our souls on the planet and this new era that we're going to be pulled into, hopefully into the light of Mm -hmm. truth. Mm. He also said this line, being born is hard. Ask any baby, they'll tell (laughs) you. I guess, I guess with their cries. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
he said that the son is our father. I didn't know if he meant S-O-N or S-U-N. Oh, I, I was like, oh man, I'm eight minutes in and I don't know. I don't think I can clarify on that father thought. means. Yeah. Um, but he said we need to discover ourselves and the aliens are here to help us discover ourselves, mm-hmm. which is really hard to do because every single one of us is in a deep sleep and we got to wake up. That's another one of those things he says with so much gravitas. Oh, we're all in a deep sleep. Mm-hmm. We got to wake up. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with that, but yes. I think the idea of them, the book, is that he's collected stories that came from readers mm-hmm. of communion mm-hmm. because for years people would write him and he said that they sent something like 250 to 300,000 letters mm-hmm. and he just determined, I mean, there's no physical way I can read these, so what am I going to do with them? But he says that his beloved wife, Anne, and uh, a good friend of hers, a Lori friend of theirs. Lori Barnes, yeah. Lori Barnes, that they did the Herculean job of reading these letters, often responding to them or bringing them selectively to his attention, putting them in careful you know, filing. And cataloging them. Yeah. Making this like their life's work is this epic Whitley Strieber <laughs> actual contact <Yeah. laughs> archive. And by, I mean, contact with his readers. Um, right. It's so cool that she did this. Thank you, Anne. I'll thank every white moth that I see. Yeah. And I totally want to see this archive, and he has given it to Rice University. Okay, we got to go we there. We got to go. Do we know anybody at Rice University? Oh, maybe. Well, let us know if you're there and you can get us in. Yeah. I'm sure we could request access. Yeah, we can also just go. But yeah, he referred to this as one of the most important human documents. At first, he was going to say like, the. yeah, the uh-huh. most important. Then he kind of caught himself. Well, you know, there's like the Magna Carta or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of the most important human documents that they have uh, created. All of these letters that came in from people who read communion said, this has happened to me, too. Let me tell you my story. And he'll focus a lot on the face. So a lot of these writers were like, that face, I've seen that face, mm-hmm. that specific face. That and painting I, on the front. Yeah, and and he takes this as confirmation without sort of realizing he's in this echo chamber loop, right? Yeah. Like uh, we've societally put the picture of the alien in your head and then the alien picture is served up to you by your mind mm-hmm. if, you're, if uh, certain things happen during sleep or whatever. And now that's what your brain pulls and serves up to you. Yeah, the causality gets lost in all of that. Yeah. And also- your sample is people who have read your book mm-hmm. and have chosen to write you about it. But yeah. going by those numbers, a lot of people did. A lot of people. Understandable that you would think, hey, I'm sensing a trend here. I'm going viral. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This is early going viral and taking great meaning from it, like Catherine Crick. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. So Lori and Ann catalog all these letters and they keep them in a storage space in Texas. And that's when he got Rice University involved, mm-hmm. and now they're all there. And it also has archives from Jacques Valle and John Mack. Other folks we've talked about on the show, major figures in ufology. And the archive is not just restricted to scholars, which is good, but yeah. usually the case. But yes, good. I don't remember what this was apropos of, but around this time, he was also talking about patents that have been pulled out yes. from alien technology. And he specifically named bodily implants. Mm. So I assume like, I don't know, replacement hips or some other kind of... interesting. Or maybe those... um, What are those new implants that they're doing for like people who are paralyzed? Neuro... Oh, yeah. Yeah, That upset a lot of people in this community. I bet he would gladly 
label any of those as (laughs) taken from alien technology. But the point of him saying that was that there was this sort of meeting that happened in 2008 where they were going to sort of admit this, like this is where we got this technology, all of these various companies who are apparently in collusion on this secret. And then they decided, well, wait, then we'd lose our patents. So you know what? Let's keep it a secret. <laughs> so this is the sort of aside that you'll get from Whitley Strieber uh, without sourcing and that would strain one's credulity. Yeah. So his his theory is like that there are these these materials that were taken from alien ships by the government and then given to companies to patent and then... <sighs> The, and then the U.S. government traded certain citizens to the aliens in return <laughs> yeah. for the materials so that they could patent them. So that's what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, he ties that up in a Pretty neat large. little knot at the end. And, yeah. uh, huh, okay, yeah. let's yeah. let's <laughs> accept that for yeah, now. Put a pin in that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> indeed. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the next part of the talk was all kind of organized by a letter that someone had written him that he thought was maybe exemplary of a trend of types of letters. And then he would just sort of expand on the story and give his own connection to it. The first letter was called Call of the Morlocks. And he he wouldn't like read the letter to us, but he would give us... Uh, sort of his recounting of it. And for those of you who don't recognize Morlocks, they are the underground creatures in the H.G. Um, Wells book, The Time Machine. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. They lived underground and were scary. Okay, yeah. Um, On Whitley's X account, he tweeted <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> that, <laughs> that the section called Call of the Morlocks is the creepiest part of the book Them, and it features this letter you're going to describe. Okay. Maybe when people write something on X, now that we can't say tweeted, maybe yeah. we can say exuded. Sure. All right. I'm going to try to, (laughs) let's make it happen, like fetch. So this was the story of a psychologist. And oh my goodness, when Whitley Strieber tells a story, he just leaves out all of these important details that you really want. And you're like, wait. litters it with kind of unnecessary information. That too. Yeah. But then he gets to a point and you're like, wait, how did you, I just watched this three times because I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. You left out some really important details. And then as I was saying, other times he has a very controlled thoughtful way of communicating it's just sort of he gets into this like scattered version where he kind of has to pull it like eight or nine things that he needs to tell you in order to communicate this one point so he never gets central coherence on the one point yeah 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 i'll just recount this as i had my takeaway but he was talking about a psychologist that he knows who has just amazing vision he can see the moons of jupiter with his unaided eyes Mm. Mm. Can, can you? I don't. I wouldn't be able to recognize the moons of Jupiter. I'm like those are. Stars. I'm suspicious of that, but I, okay. I'm not suspicious enough to say that's impossible. So okay. Maybe some people I'll can let you do handle that. Those but, six emails. But of course, he. You're right. That, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't check, but he wants us to know just how clear-sighted this psychologist is because uh, he obviously couldn't get things wrong. He saw a UFO over his head that looked like a gigantic paper airplane. 
And that's just a fun mental image. Oh, yeah. Of, I don't know, like a 40-foot paper airplane? <laughs> Who knows? And it also sounds like an identified flying object being yeah, a paper airplane fair. too the close to The more you head. tell us, the more identified it is. But it was flying over this bright billboard. And so I, I think he like got out of his car or something because he saw this thing. And there was a group of people standing under okay. the craft near the billboard. Doing what you're doing, looking at it. Yeah, okay. exactly. But as he gets closer, they're like in a circle. And it seems like they're uh, doing something that it doesn't sound like they're being like pulled up into the craft. Sending off a kite? <sighs> Or something like Your that. Your guess is like, as good as mine. Yeah. But this is where it's like, okay, I need more details, Whitley. Uh, but as he approaches this group, one of them, who's described as a dwarf, I think maybe an ugly, <laughs> an ugly dwarf? I don't know. Like He had some description oh, of God. this okay. surly short character uh-huh. who turns to him and says, get out of here. And so the psychologist does that. Okay. Then years later, the psychologist recalling this event says, you know what? I think that dwarf was one of the gray aliens that you described. Ah, yes. That's the story. Oh, I'm so glad you caught the story in this one. What do I do with that? He says so much that I missed this. The pieces don't go together. Yeah, it's it's really hard to follow. I think I did better on other ones. But yeah. He's just missing the connective fabric to answer the obvious questions that arise from this. Like, wait, was the aircraft still like moving? (laughs) Did it stop over the billboard? Why is the billboard important? Where's the light source in all of this? Maybe just show us the letter. Were they in the middle of the road? Oh, you don't have the letter? How many people were there? put the letter up? I have so many questions. He has the whole time he has on the screen these titles. So during that story, Ross was just telling Call of the Morlocks is just up on the screen behind him. You have a screen. You have slides. You have Rice University archival students willing to do work for you. Yeah. Where are the letters? Put them on the screen. Yeah. Uh, Great idea. Thank you. And you might be asking like, well, why not ask him to clarify during the Q&A? How many cues were asked during the Q&A? I would say zero, but I would th- that there is one person present who I'm Nominally, sure would say one. Yeah. Oh, man. Wait till I tell you about the difficulty I had asking a question during another UFO talk. So the, the, Really a struggle in this environment. The next either letter or section was titled, Where, Where did, did that, that time, time go? And funny enough, as he was telling the story, he told his own story of missing time, which is, as you may all recognize, a regular feature of the alien mythos that sometimes you maybe won't see them, but you'll experience missing time. Like, wait a second, I just missed out on an hour. What happened? Mm. And then later on, maybe through hypnosis, you figure out that you got abducted, etc. One problem with this is there's no standardization between what do people think is missing time? What counts? Is it Hmm. when you walk into a room and you're suddenly like, why am I here? Is that missing time? Yeah. Well, I would suspect that's part of the answer of what's actually happening when people realize, wait a second, I've been driving for two hours and I don't remember the last half hour. Yep. You might have just been kind of zombie functioning. Yeah. Without involving your memory process. Memory is so tied to attention. So Mm -hmm. what were you doing? You know, if you were daydreaming, if you were in some like completely self-secluded bubble Mm -hmm. and no reference to the outside world. Yeah. You didn't store what was happening as you walked through your house to go get scissors. That'll feel like missing time. Yeah. But as he was telling his own missing time story, he was saying that he had had lunch with Danny Sheehan, who's actually the speaker at that 
talk that I was telling you about where I was trying to raise my hand and not getting called on. Anyways, he said that after that lunch, he took a flight and he went to get his luggage. And so he's waiting around for a long yes. time. And there's just this one piece of luggage all by itself there for a long time. And finally, he asked somebody about it. And they say, that was there for like 45 minutes before you arrived. And he's like, oh. What happened to that 45 minutes? Missing time. So yeah, his his understanding is that his luggage arrived well before him. Before like the plane even yeah. landed. And so the only explanation here is missing time and not kind of forgetting what he was doing as he was ambling through the airport. Yep. Or that person was mistaken. It hadn't been there 45 minutes. It had been there two <laughs> minutes and he was there before everyone as he thought he should be. You have to consider these options because <laughs> uh, somebody telling you the wrong information mm -hmm. is more likely than the laws of physics being broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he also asked us how many of us had had a missing time experience. And so I was like, sure, because yeah. I had that feeling, Absolutely. right? Uh, broadly defined, sure. He said, okay, a few of you. Yeah, so he said he lost seven minutes recently when he went out to dinner. He lost seven minutes while leaving his house. He has no idea what happened there. And then he had a letter from a woman who was vacuuming alone when she looked up and there was a gray alien, presumably just in her living room. And she re later recognized the face on the cover of Communion and saw dwarf figures. Okay. Um, so she was missing time, but hypnosis didn't work. She didn't actually recall any alien stuff. I, I feel like the short aliens seem to be kind of exclusive to Whitley. At least he talks about them more. And he has like a, a blue dwarf. There's some kind of blue yeah, short aliens he regularly talks about. Something, yeah. yeah. Um, but he said she was horrified, and that gives you an idea of just how easily they can penetrate into our world. There's no gateway. They can walk into your life any damn time. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it really does sound scary. Yeah, absolutely. There's no defense against that. Um, and he said that also you may feel telepathy suddenly and not really realize that you had that ability. But, oh, my gosh, I can understand this alien, but he's not opening his mouth. You interpret that as telepathy, and then you think, I didn't know I could do that. Amazing. Oh, yeah. And then he ended that story with this line. He said, I'm going to take what I want and the rest of it can just go to hell. <laughs> and then there's just a smattering of confused applause. <laughs> so we're all like, well, I can tell it was a clap line. Yeah. Yeah. He, he loves to make these uh, just grandiloquent, large proclamations every now and then. Every... 10 minutes or so. I got to say something profound and memorable. And I think he's feeling it too. Uh -huh. But it just comes out as this just sort of imprecise emotionality. Yeah, I think right in the same time, he also said, and this leads to a bigger question than, you know, what is time? The question is, who are we? <laughs> All right, yeah. Who are I we? I missed that one. It's a great question. Okay, wait, what was the smaller question? What is time? Yeah, because we were talking about- What is time? And this, then even better, who these, are we? These stories make us ask, what is the nature of time? But more than that, who are we? Okay. But more than that, what is friendship? <laughs> but more than that, is government anything? <laughs> Goodness. Uh, these are the questions one asks themselves. These are okay. the questions. Okay, so the next letter was- Evil from above. Yes, this is a letter about a possession event. That's the phrase he used, possession yeah. event. So this musician came home, yeah. I guess maybe from tour, and lays down and his head explodes. I've heard of exploding head syndrome, mm -hmm. but I guess he said this wasn't that. Yeah, so there is like a phenomenon where you lay down and you hear like a bang or something in yeah. your head. 
I don't know why Whitley is discounting that explanation, because although he said his head exploded, he went on to write a letter. So I don't think his head exploded. (laughs) Not literally. So you came up with a different theory before, Whitley, and I'm missing why you dropped it. (laughs) Um, So Whitley thinks at first that it's exploding head syndrome, but he discovers that it can't because he also sensed an evil entity trying to enter his body and replace him when he heard the bang noise. Mm, That's Um, a feeling one can have. (laughs) He felt his soul being dragged and dragged and heard a thrumming sound. I feel a connection between Whitley and Linda Moulton Howe and that I feel like their strongest form of evidence is the anecdote that's just interesting to them. Like, oh, Mm. that presents a little puzzle piece, and where do I fit that in my overall narrative? Must be true, because this is interesting, and I want to tinker with it. Yes, high pattern-seeking, for sure, which I think you and I relate to. Sure, absolutely. But it just seems like he'll he'll say some of the right things sometimes, where he's like, well, I don't Mm -hmm. want to say this without evidence. He'll make these little comments that make you think he cares about the right things, but then he'll proceed to say something that is pure speculation, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I mean, I think he's limited the idea of evidence to things he can hold in his hands. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if a letter validates another letter, wow, that's two pieces of verification right there, but it's ignoring this huge context of your culture and and the internet, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and other credible explanations for these things that don't blow up our understanding of how the world works in general. Uh, Somewhere around here... He also had this little aside about how great the day of disclosure is going to be. Mm. And then he says that it's not like they're going to land on the proverbial White House lawn. But then he catches himself and he says, well, you know what? Actually, I know <laughs> I know them well enough that they have a sense of humor and they will actually land on the White House lawn. Oh, wow. Just to this. make that common human <laughs> phrase literal. Oh, goodness. Okay, so I wanted to return to that possession event for a yeah. second. Mm-hmm. So um, so that writer said that his soul was dragged and dragged, oh, and the yeah. thrumming sound went on for two hours, and then dawn came. Sounds like a horrible migraine. Oh, yeah. And the sound begins to drift away, and they're left shaken but still together, because he and his wife kind of went through this together, but it's not clear what she was actually experiencing. Mm-hmm. So, yep. like, that's so fascinating. What a fascinating letter. I want to see it, too. I'm glad mm-hmm. you cataloged this, but... But your explanation for it is so different from mine. Indeed. And Whitley uses this to introduce a concept that he'll repeat a couple more times. When the guy was talking about his soul being dragged down, Whitley has this, and and I'm guessing his Jesus book maybe Mm. is about this theme. He has this explanation of our souls and how if we are surrounded by enough fear and bad decisions, our souls will get heavier and that will drag them down to what we would traditionally call hell. Mm. But if we think on the right things, if we do good Mm. deeds, if we are surrounded by happiness and joy and all the other things that we would agree are good, that we will have lighter souls and they can't be dragged down and they will float up to the Mm. top. So that seems to be kind of this little metaphor of weight that he has for our souls. Boy, I can see why this makes sense with someone with the kind of tunnel vision Mm -hmm. that Whitley has because he has this immense capacity to just be like, I am looking only at the thing in front of me Mm -hmm. and I'm comparing it to this other data point and 
the hell to everything else. Yeah. And people who have that. <laughs> All the other details that do not corroborate this story can go yeah. to hell. But, but also, that is the phenotype that makes a great scientist mm. if you can get it actually corralled, mm-hmm. you know? So I am like seeing some, I'm, I'm watching this and I'm just like, Whitley, like you're so close to something so glorious. Yes. You know? Something I think about often is that both science and superstition are driven by our proclivity to see patterns. Yeah. It's just science introduces some controls to help us weed out things that aren't real patterns. Yeah. And look at even more bigger patterns that you wouldn't have thought Mm -hmm. of because you were specializing in some other field. Yeah. 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 And I think we're just stopping a little short of those corrective measures. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is why Whitley. You and I just got to hang out for like five hours. Show me these things and I'll explain every single one. And then you and I can go on tour and do like a two person live show about like this crazy archive you have and what every single thing could mean. This could be amazing. Let's hit the road. Whitley and Carrie and Ross, do you want to come? Sure. Yeah. I'll at least be in the front row. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to think of what the mashup would be between Dreamland and Oh, no. Dream no. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I think we'll get people to follow me to dream no. Yeah. Yeah, if you're willing to leave Disney to be with me and Whitley Strieber as we do this nonstop. Oh, okay. Okay, then then it's it's golden. We can write that 40-somethingth book in collaboration. Okay. (laughs) In fact, when you and Whitley and I join powers... We're going to need a website. I have demands here. If we're okay. going to have a website with yes. Whitley, yeah. it needs to uh, have an online store with a suite of integrated features. Ooh, okay. Well, hold on. Down. I have writing more demands. Down. Also, it needs to have useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Okay, writing it down. Uh, I'd like it to have extensions uh, okay. to connect my store with vetted third-party tools to extend you the want functionality. Me to vet them? Okay. All Someone's right. got to vet them. Okay, I'm writing it down. We've got to extend the functionality. Also, it would be great if if it had like a, a fluid engine that's maybe like a next generation web design system. You that- want me to invent a website design system for you and you want me to call it fluid engine? I mean, it could be called whatever, but it needs to have that functionality or you know, you don't need to develop it. Maybe it already exists out there. Mr. Botcher. Okay. Your writer is really intense these days and we don't know if we can give you everything you desire only blue m&ms but yes i just remembered about squarespace which will suit every need that you just mentioned and i just wrote down really yes squarespace it's a website making website oh my goodness uh, no blue M&M's though, right? That oh, was no, separate. we would never. Squarespace. Of course. Of course. Oh my goodness. They have all those features that I just mentioned. Uh, and they have beautiful templates. They really do. And it's one, I mean, I use it. It's one of the best, most reliable website builders. Yeah. Let's be real about this, people. And it's all in one. You know, you don't need to download special software. It doesn't matter what computer you're on at the moment. Maybe you're off at the, you know, your hotel and you just have your, your iPad. Well, guess what? You can log in and you've got a tool to build your brand, grow your business online. You stand out with a beautiful website. So maybe you put up the letters that people write to you about their alien experiences and you have beautiful visuals and you explain what each thing could mean. That website could house one of the most important documents in the history of mankind. Come on. That could be you, Whitley. So if you want to do that or just make a normal website. A website website. for some other thing that's in your life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Insert 
good website idea here. That's us uh, blowing out the context. <laughs> like, Whitley won't. <laughs> you, can, you can head to squarespace.com slash O-N-O, O-H-N-O, for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, you use the offer code O-N-O. And what will happen, Carrie? You'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. It lives in the high information zone. Have you ever wanted to know the sad lore behind Chuck E. Cheese's love of birthday parties? Or my Saturday mornings are reserved for cartoons? Or have you wanted to know how beloved virtual pet site Neopets fell into the hands of Scientologists? Or how a former Mattel employee managed to grow Sega into a video game powerhouse? Join us, hosts Austin and Brenda, and learn all of these things and more at Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries, now on Maximum Fun. Okay, so the next letter title, these all pop up on screen as he's talking. So the next title is A New You. A New You. So this one starts with a little girl who telepathically wakes up in a UFO and is told that they won't harm her. And then then Whitley interrupts himself and is like, uh-huh. who remembers Mars Attacks? I remember Mars Attacks. I never saw it. Oh, yeah. One of the joys to me of being a parent is that I get to play movies for my son and get his reactions and kind of relive them through his eyes. And Mars Attacks was one of those. Yeah. And uh, the point that Whitley's referring to is that these aliens go around with flamethrowers killing people, but the whole time they keep saying, we are not here to harm you. We are not oh, here to yeah. harm you. While they okay. are obviously harming that's basically what they were doing was it telepathic whether they're saying it uh no i think they they had like an actual vocal system well it's funny because whenever i hear that like these ufo people do it all the time they say it's kind of like in the matrix and i'll think well do you think it traveled to you from the matrix (laughs) so when i hear it's kind of like mars attacks i'm like well maybe this little girl got it from mars attacks right right. can you predate this before mars attacks yes yes it might not be like (laughs) mars attacks might not be like it it might be like mars attacks exactly that's the that's the entire (laughs) the whole talk listening to whitley strieber is that feeling is like you explained it, and then you explained it away. Okay, so Why? we keep saying that we need to give a talk at Conscious Life Expo. I need to start oh, taking yeah. notes on like themes to cover, like just sort okay. of basic skepticism. So I'm just going to write here, order of causality. We just need to think of like general concepts that we need to get across yeah. in this talk. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I already have ideas. Okay, cool. A new you. So... What's actually happening here? Whitley has the answer. Yeah, yeah. They've been abducting her and doing what? Getting biosamples. So biosamples have been taken for years. This was an odd detail. Scraping the skin from the bottom of her feet. Oh, yuck. Okay. And her hair. And then one of my favorite Whitley quotes. (laughs) Semen has been taken. It's been taken from me. I know for a fact it's been taken from me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cover my cover my face because I'm like, I know every person has a wet dream. Right. Don't announce your wet dreams to me. <laughs> we, we know what his are like. Yeah. <laughs> but he'll he'll just announce these sorts of things. Like he knows for a fact that his semen has been taken by the aliens. Yeah. You do? <laughs> I'd love I'd no, love to know don't? more. Would I? I don't know. Come on, buddy. So because of this, he's convinced that they are making human clones. It's the kind of thing he'll just throw out there and you'll be like, well, why are you convinced? 
Like, yeah. how did you get from A to B? Because right, that's a big right. jump from A to B. Right. And you want me to follow you. So yeah. show it, your work. But after introducing this whole idea that they are reproducing humans, he says, this is real. This has happened. Wow. That's yeah. a bold proclamation. And and he made a really good point here, actually, that I liked because he had us all sort of do the thought exercise of what if we were the aliens? Uh, mm-hmm. We were visiting another planet. What would we do? Well, you'd have a bunch of psychologists telling you, don't let them see you because that's going to mess with their path of technology and development. You know, the whole prime directive idea yeah. from Star Trek. But we would also want to be collecting samples. So we probably would grab them every now and then, mm-hmm. pull them off the face of the planet and do things to to them. And I really like that he was thinking that way because I think that's important yep. to ask, okay, what would we do if we had the technology to go visit other planets? So I like that he was thinking that, but he had made this kind of realization about how aliens had seen that we had already decided when we captured them in the 50s that we weren't going to treat them like ourselves. We were going to prod them and torture them with the alien bodies we recovered. So then what did they do starting in the 60s? Uh, they start abducting us. Right. So they'd seen like this they is feel the like con- the feelings mutual. Yeah. We are enemies now. Yeah. This is how you treat us. Well, Betty and Barney Hill, we're going to abduct you. Right. Poke and prod you and inseminate you. He said, it. so if you turn it around and we're the aliens, it all makes great great sense if you don't assume that the beings that you're dealing with have rights. Um, This reminded me of Stephen Hawking kind of made this argument that like, if we're really worried about the aliens coming, yeah, they would probably treat us roughly the way we treat non-human animals, which is as not worthy of the same rights as humans. Yeah. And I think he used the example as well of like people from the old world first setting foot on the shores of the new world and spreading disease, killing people just without compunction. Mm -hmm. But... I think there's also the argument about once we get to the point where we are a spacefaring race, then at that point, you've learned to work collaboratively. You might have a few more voices, hopefully, speaking about not treating people like we have in the past. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't buy the uh, Stephen Hawking oh, argument. Oh, interesting. I've always found that not persuasive. I've always been like, yeah, of course. We Whoever's smartest treats everyone else like shit. Of course. Okay. I mean, no, I, yeah, I don't necessarily think that because I think if we found slime molds on other planets, we'd be so excited. Mm-hmm. We found dolphins, we'd be so excited. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it would immediately be like the, uh, the whaling ships of the 1800s, mm-hmm. you know, where we'd suddenly just start uh, finding ways to monetize them. And I'm talking myself out of the idea, so I'll stop. (laughs) Okay, so that's a new you. Next was Visitors in the Trees, which I think we're both excited about because... Okay, yeah. Mike Cleland. Oh, yeah. A Ono Ross and Carey, former interviewee and swell guy. Yeah. um, uh, Has been cataloging this himself. People who have visions of owls Owls. in particular Mm -hmm. outside their windows right when they also had a UFO adjacent experience. Yeah. So he says, visitors in the trees. I'm like, here we go. So this story was a letter from a family with three kids, a mom and a dad. The mom notices lights in the driveway, but they go away so it's no big deal. I'm so eager to hear your retelling of this because it was such a badly told story. But yes, keep going. Then she sees someone in a red windbreaker go in their barn. Yeah, a woman is walking into their barn with a red windbreaker. Okay, nothing to do with aliens so far. And then she jumps off the roof of the barn and into the trees. <laughs> um, so then, then she, she, then the writer of the letter. <laughs> 
asked her daughter to check on the barn, uh, but no one's in the barn. The mom goes to the grocery store. She comes home. The family's in the front yard. And there are funny little people in the trees. And she goes out there with her kids. Like little humans. And they can see these little beings in the trees, and they don't know what they are. I need so much more than I'm getting (laughs) from this story. But then he continues to ramble on with too much detail about the minutiae of this story yeah, without, again, any uh, of the surrounding context. What's the bigger picture happening for this family? Yeah. And as he tells like the next part of the story, you're like, wait, where's the connective fiber? Wait, what happened? How did we get to the? Because next, like you have the mom going into the barn and now she sees a human like figure in a green jacket and it's filming her. Why? What what does it look like? Why is it human-like? Just slap that letter on the screen, my buddy. (sighs) Slap that letter on the screen. Yeah, let us see it at least. He says, at this point, she's very perplexed, but she has been shown these things step by step. And when he said that, I was like, shown these things? Is this Uh hypnosis? Are we talking about hypnosis? Oh, quite possibly. But yeah, another sighting was the mom. Again, the mom is having most of the sightings here. Sees... Mm. Mm-hmm. A woman-like figure wearing this uh, shiny necklace, and she has beads on her forehead. But then she turns into an alien being. She no longer looks human-like, but she's wearing the same regalia. And I'm just listening to all this going like, okay, none of this sounds real or consistent with any other alien account that we have. What are we supposed to do with this? Right. So many contradictions. But again, just the pieces that are interesting are enough to validate the whole and he takes those and presents them as real. Who was saying so many contradictions? Was that Linda Moulton Howe? So oh. many strange contradictions. Yeah, yeah huh. kind of like so saying the quiet strange. part out loud. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So strange. And that's all we need to do is just acknowledge that it's strange. <laughs> he did have an interesting takeaway, though, about all of these weird things that the mom was seeing. He thought that this was indicative of this program that the aliens had to measure how quickly we could adapt to shocking things happening to us. That, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that the aliens oh. were running this little experiment. Oh, if On I change like panic in, tolerance. Yeah, if of. I change okay. right in front of their eyes, what do they do? Uh, Interesting. Let me write that in my notebook or oh, very it men on my... who stared at goats, CIA, MK Ultra. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Kind of, okay, that, that was the the narrative. Okay, so in another story, and he promised us this would be the last story. <laughs> we'll see. Um, this one is about a little girl being abducted with her mom in the car. Mm-hmm, 1968 in Texas. Oh, thank you. Daughter screams, I hate you, mommy. The mom doesn't understand that. It turns out the daughter has an incurable cancer of the nervous system, Uh which kills her. Then a friend of Houston calls during this mother's grief and says, I have to tell you something. There was an extra piece there in between the girl telling her mom that she hated her and the introduction. So they were driven off the road while they were on the road. And maybe this was recovered later, but they were abducted into the ship and they were separated. Mm. And this is where the mom learned that the aliens were taking her because of their soul lineage, Mm. because of their family, because of their inheritance. They were of interest to these aliens and they were abducted. How many generations? Yeah. And then once they were let back on the earth, that's when the daughter then said, I hate you, mommy. Mm. 
because I okay. guess she was upset from this whole experience of being abducted. I see. See, I bet I wrote this down this way because I was thinking, what do we know actually happened? It sounds like a mom and a daughter were driving in a car and then the daughter inexplicably shouted, I hate you, mommy. Oh, I and re-listened then- <laughs> to this so many times because it was so confusing. So the reason I think that it's like that is because then there's a third character the woman, the legally blind woman who calls yes. Yes. and says, I got a message from your dead daughter who died recently. Yes. And then I think introduces the alien narrative to explain. Oh, it. maybe because somehow they'd incorporated that into the timeline, but of, of the original story. But the one thing I was trying to get clarification for and I couldn't was. Were the aliens trying to heal the daughter? Because it sounds like maybe that's why they had pulled her up, but they were unsuccessful. Oh, maybe. Because the daughter did die. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But then you have this weird third party who receives the message from the daughter telling the mom, actually, she loves you and she'll love you always, which counteracts the, I hate you, mommy. Yeah, right. Okay, good What do we do with this? the third party is legally blind, but she drives to Austin to deliver the news. (laughs) Something's wrong with this story. I need more info. I guess I have to read them. Yeah, I think also... Whitley has that pronoun confusion problem where okay. he'll introduce like five or six characters, mm-hmm. give us all their genders, Absolutely. and then just say he, she, he, she, he, she, he, she. And I'm like, which yeah. one? <laughs> Absolutely. And then they were <laughs> finding out that, but who's they? <laughs> just use their whole name. Please just say their name. Yeah, repeat the name. And speaking of his big takeaways, yeah. for this story, the takeaway I guess from the daughter speaking from beyond the grave is that the new reality that we are moving into this new world, if you can take it, will be so much bigger. And you're all living these small lives now. Yes. But when we emerge from the birth canal into this new world, we will see with so much more light. The blinders will come off. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, which is so funny for someone with such tremendous tunnel vision to talk about the blinders coming off. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, but I know, I know, but I want to, I, I see it so clearly. We should be friends. This wasn't like a chapter from the book, but then he gets into this other story. Uh, just another weird transition. Like, why are we talking about this now? Yes, yeah, I wrote down stuff about Roswell. Okay, yeah, so he was talking about experiments that were being done right after World War II with V-2 rockets being tested at White Sands. He was saying that the aliens would just shoot them down. And I was like, okay, I need more info. Because he's saying they were nervous about us combining rockets with nuclear warheads. But were the tests with live nuclear warheads? Somehow I doubt that, at least from the way he told the story. And eventually we did have that technology, so they didn't really stop us. But his purpose in telling the story about aliens shooting down test flights of V-2 rockets at White Sands was to illustrate the point that sometimes the aliens, rather than like communicating with you, then sitting down with the president saying, hey, we don't like that you're doing this. Can you please cut it out? It's dangerous for your civilization. They'll just jump in and blow things up. Mm. And Whitley was saying, I know this is true because that's what they do to me. Because I'll be trying to 
accomplish something. Maybe I'm trying to meditate and all of a sudden I'll hear like a loud explosion. An inexplicable explosion. Yeah, he doesn't say that it's actually like something exploding, just that he hears that, which again makes me think of experiences people describe when they have something like temporal lobe Mm -hmm. epilepsy. Like I heard a loud explosion Mm -hmm. that was just, as far as we can tell, generated inside my head. Which we should mention he claims he was tested for and passed the test. That's part of the, part of his lore. Yeah. No comment on whether that's true, but that's what he says. He entertains it and dismisses it. Mm -hmm. But he says that... So regularly, he'll just notice that the aliens are messing with things in his life. And then he'll have to work backwards to ask, wait, what did I do to piss you off? And Mm -hmm. that's the phrase he kept using. I pissed off the aliens, but I don't know why. But this is how they act, kind of passive aggressively. And then I have to... Kind of a joke, a prank. It made me think of the Old Testament and earlier animism where the the lightning happens. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, what did we do to to piss off whoever caused that because we can only think in terms of human agency. Yeah. And I just, I, again, I felt so bad for Whitley. Like, oh, he's living his life kind of like I used to do when something bad would happen and I would be like, oh, what's the lesson God is trying to teach oh, me? yes. What am I doing wrong in my life? Am I being too prideful? I feel like he does that same sort of thing. Like, oh, what are the aliens responding to that I did? Why is it my fault? My emo friend from college, Kevin, um, he had this problem. Is he still emo? I think he's less emo. I mean, he's emo. Bless him. Blessings <laughs> to all the emo kids. Oh, yeah. But maybe a little less emo for him. I, I just remember one time we were getting out of his car and he opened the door in such a way that he banged his head. And then he said, why do things like this always happen to me? Oh, and I yeah. was like, banging your head? I mean. And you smacked your forehead and said, everyone. it happens to all of us, <laughs> yeah, Kevin. I don't know how to answer this, except to say you're not seeing the larger context. This is where Whitley will insert like a, an aside, like just something will pop into his head all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And so he adds a new bullet point to whatever earlier discussion. And I guess because he'd mentioned explosions, he said, by the way, we know that there's been the destruction of many bodies in these explosions. And I'm like, what bodies? What explosions? What are you talking about? <laughs> Well, I'm so confused about that. He says, but we don't know if they were real bodies. They could have just been simulations. I was like, what? What are we talking about? What what destruction of bodies? Alien bodies? Human bodies? Is this a, even a thing? Simulation, I bet. I bet that's to excuse away something that's been debunked. But what are we even talking about? Yeah. Um, so he kind of said that people that hear voices and things have it wrong in their abduction stories. He said other people get telepathic messages, but that's actually maybe imagination because the reality is this kind of display seems to be much more their method of communication. Okay. Meaning visual displays. He was talking about a visual thing. So that's interesting. He's kind of taking a stand against invalidating messages. Yeah. But there was a mention of telepathy earlier. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what the through line is there. <laughs> yeah. So then he started talking about this guy named Dr. David Webb. Dr. Webb. Who actually has a pull quote at the beginning of communion. And he mentions this because this highly placed intelligence agent was interested in Whitley and his experiences before communion was published. And he's described as a specialist. Yeah, and on the pull quote, I'm looking at the back of Carrie's copy of Communion here, signed by Whitley Strieber mm-hmm. to Carrie. Spoiler. He's credited as member, National Committee on Space, Chairman of Space Studies, University of North Dakota. Uh, And the quote is, the reader should remember the words of a famous biologist, Dr. J.B.S. Haldane, who is a famous Mm -hmm. biologist. We've mentioned him on the show before. 
that, returning to the quote, not only is the universe stranger than we suppose, but stranger than we can suppose. Mm. Communion is a brilliant, compelling, and provocative work. And I'm sure when he said that, he meant, so anything goes. (laughs) Right. You can use my blanket uh, seal of approval on anything you say. I approve anything strange. But yeah, Whitley has this long list of organizations that Dr. David Webb was involved with, DARPA, NASA. He keeps on going. And where did he end up, Ross? Oh, I don't know. Where did he end up? He ended up at our cabin before oh. our reunion. Yes. Our meaning Whitley and Anne's. I've got to start. I'm not going to lose pronouns the yeah. way Whitley does. <laughs> Let's not confuse our listeners the way <laughs> Whitley confuses us. Yeah, indeed. So before he published Communion, Dr. David Webb was visiting him at their cabin where a lot of these events take place mm-hmm. in the original Communion. Mm-hmm. At least I've heard him tell the stories about all of these visitations happening at that cabin. Yeah. And so his takeaway from this was they knew, like the well-connected intelligence officers, the government, they all knew before 1987, before I published this book, that these abductions were happening. So when later on they try to say we're all crazy, just know that they knew and they they realized this was a real phenomenon. And I'm thinking, well, Betty and Barney Hill, they published their book back in 1966, The Interrupted Journey. So the story had been out there for a long time. Uh, Anyways, he thought that that was very important, that we all know that they knew. Uh, But also he mentions here, again, without any evidence, just he's been convinced by this, that all of this abduction activity has been part of a seed bank plan. Yes, they are storing our DNA in case Earth is toast. Maybe we have a, you know, nuclear fallout. Maybe climate destroys us. Whatever it is, they're backing us up. Uh, But he thinks that Sure, this is about insurance, but it could also be, all of these abductions could be about creating something, an in-between, a hybrid between humans and aliens that can understand both of them and facilitate communication. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Could be, Whitley, could be. Uh, okay, yeah, could it be. could be. Yeah, this idea of insurance, of our, our government trading us off so they can get tech. Oh my God, it's like voluntary hostages. I mean, it's yeah, it's a truly brutal vision. Where is this tech? Why are we still using fossil fuels and solid rocket boosters if we have all this alien tech? It's all, it's all in the military industrial complex. Yeah, but why is the military still using all it? this old technology that we had to figure out the hard way? They aren't, Ross. Keep up. I'm you trying. only think that they're using the old tech. Uh, they're using the new tech from the aliens, which is better and well and documented in grainy videos. It. Yes, thank you. Oh, okay. Now okay. You're following. Well, speaking of grainy videos, he's talking about how our weapons are ineffective against aliens. So they're just so oh, far right. ahead of us. There's nothing we can do. So he... Oh, yeah. Shows that video of a fire base off Afghanistan. Yeah. So he demonstrates this with a video from Afghanistan. And I think it was shot in 2011. I think that was the date on the footage. When you look at it, it looks like infrared footage and you've got a light backdrop and then dark objects in the foreground or as he tells us, kind of hovering in the air. And there's two shots. There's one that's just kind of zoomed in on two of these floating simmering objects that have kind of material sort of dripping off the bottom of them. Yeah. And then there's a later shot that's more zoomed out where you see the mountains, I guess, of Afghanistan and these objects. And there's, I think, up to four of them that you can see. Anyway, so he tells us to wait for it. And all of a sudden, what looks like a rocket comes in from the side and blows up to the left of them. So it looks like Mm -hmm. a projectile goes through two objects and the objects 
disintegrate and then reappear. Yeah, visually, it looks like there's an explosion and it knocks them down, but then whoop, all of a sudden, they there they are up. again. Yeah. And the audience laughs at them, and Whitley Strieber says, yeah, I mean, how silly that we think we can do anything to them. So okay. the implication being, actually, this is alien tech that zips itself back up, and mm-hmm. we were, our, our silly little weaponry barely scathed them. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, I think we need more info here. So I sent this to some skeptical podcasters I know, and I sent it to Mick West, who is, he and his website, Metabunk, are the best places to yeah. go for analysis of Great. this kind of footage. So I sent it to him and he said, yeah, we haven't covered it on Metabunk, but this has come up a lot in forums, definitely something we've seen before. And he was able to send me a longer, more full-featured YouTube clip oh, of great. this original footage. And it becomes so obviously clear what's going on here. Okay. And that's that these are flares. Some people... Flares. So that that's just like fire? Yeah, like with a flare gun. You can like yeah. set up this burning object uh-huh. that can be used... And, and it can just kind of float in the sky for a fairly long time. And these probably have shoots on them, hence shoot ah, flares. So ah. they can just sort of linger in the sky and you can do target practice or marking a certain area or whatever it is you need to do. Are they on a drone or something? How do they stay up That's there? one way to do it. Oh, okay. Another way would be to put them on parachutes. Oh, okay. So they just okay. kind of slowly descend and Got to it. give you enough time to do things. And mm, uh, so okay. so he analyzed this and he pointed to a lot of helpful comments in the uh, the YouTube video. And so I'll read one from Patriot Condor, because indeed, it does look like there's this huge explosion. And then, yeah, why are these things just rebounding to where they were before? And Patriot Condor says, believe it or not, the missile really didn't even hit the flare. The flare itself is only a few inches across. Hitting it perfectly Mm -hmm. is almost impossible, Mm -hmm. as the missile tracks the plume of heat, not the flare itself. That large, dark plume is the heat signature, which looks like several feet in diameter in the flare, the forward-looking infrared. Mm. As the missile literally flies by it, within just a couple of feet or so, the turbulence from the missile causes the hot ash from the flare to fly off and get caught up in the turbulence of the missile. Because the missile is actually undamaged, it continues on and locks onto the next flare it sees. So this seemed like a very good explanation of what we're seeing. And they look like flares, especially when you see the longer clip that Whitley didn't include. Obviously, there's, you know, like material dripping down from it because it's fizzling probably phosphorus thing yeah entirely consistent with that so I, I i totally believe that you made so many though category distinctions that whitley just wouldn't even make like you know you said this is a infrared video and i was like oh yeah i guess that is an infrared video hadn't thought about it you know mm-hmm. i feel like whitley doesn't even do that sort of mm. that moment where you go like well hang on what am i looking at here what am i missing in the entire view if Mm -hmm. i if i take if i zip zoom out now let's try to zoom out again now let's try to mentally zoom out again yeah indeed and i think it's consistent with the pattern of locking onto the one interesting piece of information and just sort of ignoring everything else and the context and and whitley mentioned another thing and he called it angel hair that's how he described the trails descending down from the object yeah and and slightly upward to be fire yeah and i'm I'm sure we've encountered this before, but I I just didn't recognize that term, angel hair. So Mick let me know that that's just kind of part of the alien mythology. Mm. Um, and sure enough, I was able to find references to this, the, the idea that there's this like wispy material that often is associated with UFO sightings. And apparently the Raelians have made a big deal about this about as well. About angel hair? Yeah, and okay. they've described it as ionized air sleeting off of the electromagnetic field that surrounds a UFO. 
Okay, those were a lot of words. I ionized air sleeting off the what? The electromagnetic field the electromagnetic that surrounds field a UFO. That selects a UFO. Hey, okay. sure, we explained sure. it. Uh, <laughs> another is excess energy converted into matter. Okay. Uh, or, wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Yeah, converting energy into matter. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, they did it. Yeah, the opposite of an atomic explosion. Uh-huh. Yeah, impressive. And then also, this list is from um, a Wikipedia article about angel hair. Another explanation is the usage by UFOs of a G-field that would cause heavy atoms in ordinary air to react among themselves and produce a kind of precipitate that falls to the ground and disappears as the ionization decreases. Hmm. Those were words. Hmm. Yeah. Do be like that, though. (laughs) I hadn't heard the term angel hair before, but now I have. I love that pasta. Yeah. Great pasta. So that was the first footage he showed us. So next he showed us another video uh, that you were looking at as we were preparing to record here. So I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Uh Uh-huh. This was a video that he prefaced by saying... Um, you know, people are always complaining that uh-huh. UFO footage isn't clear enough. <laughs> yeah, I am I always have... complaining about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I have some very clear footage. Oh, and thank then... goodness. I can't wait. And then he shows what I have to say is like kind of grainy. I mean, it's better than a lot of stuff, but I'm still Uh like, it wasn't shot on my iPhone. I'll tell you that. This is bad looking. Um, And the reason it wasn't shot on your iPhone is that it's from 2002 before iPhones were a thing. Fair. This was taken in, um, when was it? Uh, 1998 in, uh, no, 2002, excuse me, in the Okanagan in uh, British Columbia by a guy who just happened to take it off of his back deck. And you'll see it in a minute, it'll come up. I know it's, it's, it, 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 the video is a little long, but it will come up in a moment. Let's just wait for it. I'm sorry, I, I, I should have taken the front of this clip off. Uh, is it running? Yeah, good, okay, good, it'll come up. And you'll see a wonderful image of a UFO in utter clarity here in just a moment. Um, there it is. Now, that's not a balloon. And look at around the edges of it. Those distortions around the outside of it are because it's a, there's a very high-intensity magnetic field involved in that. And now it will immediately disappear. What we did was we expanded each frame by seven so that this because it happens more quickly. This is slowed down, but it's not altered in any way whatsoever. Once again, Whitley offers a rational explanation and then just says, no. Yeah. Not a balloon. I'm looking at that, Ross. That might be a balloon. I I think of how in politics lately, you often have to ask yourself, is an accusation an admission of guilt? Mm. Like, I feel like that's a theme I keep seeing with Donald Trump. Like, he'll point at somebody else for doing something and be like, oh, Oh. is that you accusing someone of doing something you just did? Oh, Because it uh sounds uh like that's your modus operandi. Showing your ass by accusing others. I feel like when Whitley tells you something is definitely not this, (laughs) it might be this. Yeah, he's like, I explored that counterpoint but i found a way I around it, out, it and you can take my word for it so yeah it's this blue sky video that someone was taking off of their deck and he says it's completely clear it is not oh my god it's clearly like a time capture it's like yeah so that's already not a clear video 
by its nature, because everything jerkily moves across the screen in a way that makes it and animated he, in the wrong way. And completely. he tells us this has been slowed down seven X. We've you know expanded <laughs> the frames, but it hasn't been manipulated in any way. I was like, okay, well, you just told us how it was manipulated. Thank you for that. But he didn't paint on it. Good. We see during the footage that the guy is zooming way in. So he's zooming as far as his camera will let him, I'm guessing, to lock in on this object. And I'm uh, quite certain the reason the camera footage is so shaky is because it is really hard to keep oh. something in frame when you're that zoomed in. Mm. Any slight movement of your hand oh, you're right. okay. is going to shake the footage incredibly when you're zoomed in. We don't know what the, oh, okay. the optical or zoom enhancement is of this image. But yeah, like it's going to be herky-jerky and that yeah. explains the movement. So it's fully consistent with a completely steady object. Like when I try to use binoculars to look at birds and you have to have like such a steady hand or mm-hmm. you lose the animal immediately. Yeah, exactly. And it helps to have a tripod when you're dealing with those kind of distances. But yeah, any slight motion covers a ton of ground. Mm-hmm. And Oh, that's interesting. I just assumed it was time-lapse footage, but you're right. That's a that's a Here we go. Two explanations that didn't involve aliens. <laughs> right. And then it, it is this kind of gray circle and it has interesting features to it. My guess would be a mylar balloon floating yeah, in the too. air. It looks like a balloon to me, Could be but some it's other not things. though. Yeah, and it starts as like more of a circular shape with some defining features, uh, but then it, I would say, rotates so that you sort of see it on edge and now it's more like a pill-like shape. Fully consistent with a balloon that just sort of rotated up and very high. And Whitley even goes so far, he adds more details again. Like, oh, the distortion you see around it is because it has a very strong magnetic field. You don't know that. (laughs) The distortion is artifacting from compression from a video from 2002 shot on someone's camcorder from their backyard. Anyways. She's not clear. Again, I sent it to McWest and he's like, yeah, that's not super clear. The criticism remains, this is firmly in the Liz, the low information zone. (laughs) So anyways, we got experts to look at it. And uh, Brian Dunning had kind of the same reaction to it, that uh, poor Whitley is probably confused. Yeah, but he said that was a UFO in utter clarity. So there you go. Then he showed us a video of a gray looking through a garage or something. He said there was a lot of controversy about it on the internet. And I think you were looking at this before we started recording. So I'm interested to hear your take. Okay. And here's the moment where I think Alan Steinfeld was even skeptical of this because he Ah. says, Whitley introduces this and says, I believe this is real footage of an alien. Yeah. It's a dark room and they've got like a light shining on this gray alien face. And it looks like, you know, if you imagined a mold, rubber mold, silicone mold of an alien, you know, it looks like that, but it's kind of moving around and having expressions. And Ellen, I can hear from the audience, offers, oh, yeah, I think this is called Alien Interview. Mm. And sure enough, this is footage that first appeared in 1997 as part of a documentary called Area 51, The Alien Interview. And it's this credulous thing where they show a little bit of this footage and then they have talking heads including one guy who's you know lit from behind and his voice has been modified because you know he's worried about threats if he reveals why he knows what he knows but they're all talking about this Whitley acknowledges that it's been controversial but I, I think Alan Steinfeld pointing out that this is called 
alien interview was him saying like, yeah, we kind of know the provenance of this video. Mm, maybe. And I don't know, maybe he does take it seriously, but I got the impression that he's like, maybe I, we shouldn't be using this mm, as an example. Okay, that was the vibe. Because it really does look like a human-made model of an alien. It's also, listen, if a documentary is the first place something appears, the documentarian <sighs> is supposed to take responsibility for where that came from. Absolutely. So who's that? And we were looking at this disclaimer at the beginning of the footage that says the following program deals with controversial subjects. The theories, opinions, and beliefs expressed are not the only possible interpretation of the evidence. Viewers are urged to make a judgment based on all available information. That tells me you made a documentary where you know it's ridiculous, but you want to give people a little rope that they can use to form their own theories and feel justified. Oh, yeah, or not get mad at you because you can point at this one text slide. Yeah, but tell us, Carrie, how did Whitley know that this had to be real footage? Great question. He said, the reason that I believe it's real See the green light flashing up and down? And oh, then he points like the, to the video. Like a little green laser pointer almost that's like hitting a, a little diffuse glass piece or something. That's kind something of what visually it looks up like. And down bouncing green, green light. light. He says, a light like that was flashing up and down on my desk when I was writing communion. No. If that's a fake, why would they choose to do that? Why indeed. So I think this is really interesting. It's Mm -hmm. interesting about how Whitley's mind works that he can just isolate like green light. That's so convincing to me. And speaking to that tunnel vision you were talking about. Exactly. Okay, I see that one little detail in the frame. Never mind that they get up and push and prod this like alien mask. Yeah. I see the green light. I experienced a green light like that. Then I could never prove it to you, but I swear while I was writing. And he said, I always saw it out of the corner of my eye and I try to like touch it with my hand and then it would Mm -hmm. ooze out of my fingers. But if I looked directly at it, it would go away i'm thinking Uh, okay you're having some sort of experience but or like visual floaters could be anything like i get a like a little flashing light in the corner of my left eye sometimes and the doctors looked at it and they're just like yeah it's like migraine plus 40 plus you know Mm -hmm. little floaters in your eyes moving around yep that's nothing that's not the fun explanation (laughs) so yeah he's convinced by that then he shows us this photo of an alien and says that people in mexico call them ant people they come up from the ground and they want to steal your soul and he refers to how again we need to have light souls so they can't drag you down but it's this you know photo of what you would consider a typical gray alien walking through a door frame right yeah and he says uh i had to cut it off so that it wouldn't be restricted on youtube but you can tell that it's a woman because it's naked and she's pregnant. I looked up the original photo. It, you know, it looks like a model. I don't think anybody would mm. worry about it showing up in this video. But here he said here she it was, is. Oh, okay. Without the cropping. But she, he said she was coming up out of the ground, which I took to mean maybe he was looking at a tree, but no, that's that's no, definitely like supposed to be an alien. It's just the mythology apparently that they pop out of the ground and drag people down. But yeah, this looks like again a model at very low resolution. And the, I, I see something there. The name Uri Geller. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think almost every instance of this image I found was in relation to Uri Geller posting this image because he was credulous and felt that this was proof uh, of aliens. Fuck. 
Uri. Uri Geller. Are I, you that starved for attention? I'm going to pick up my man Randy's mantle of <laughs> Uri Geller socks. Yeah. <laughs> he, does. he does. He's been sucking for so long. <laughs> He's, a, as again, James Randy would say, an unsinkable rubber duck. Uh, he just keeps popping up so again. So annoying. He is annoying. He was very convinced already, by that particular photo. There was also a caption on this one, so I just want to read out the caption. It said, alleged alien photographed on September. September 22nd, 2004 at 10.45 p.m. with a Kodak DX4530 camera. The photo was taken by a security guard in an abandoned office in Reones, Nuevo Leon, Mexico. I love that all those little bits of detail are, I assume, there to just make it sound all the more credible. Perhaps. Exactly uh, which model of camera got this grainy photo. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm I glad for it. I appreciate the alleged. Yes. And I, I'll take all the details you want to give me. Uh, so next, he showed another clip. This was his final clip. And it was of these boys playing soccer. He said it was in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Later on, the audience corrected him and said, <laughs> oh, actually, that was in Mexico. The guy in the front row was like, that can't be from Argentina. They're all speaking Mexican Spanish, which is okay. a great hey. fact-checking moment. And he's like, oh, really? I thought it was Argentina. Okay, huh. Oh, really, Whitley? Why did you think that? You need to go back. So you this- need to reassess. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Maybe stop and ask those questions. But as they were playing soccer, this was at night, it was dark, and the the boy farther from the camera, he kind of walks back, and there's uh, some kind of either tree or pole, and an alien steps out from behind it, and it looks like, you know, this alien has been hiding behind this thing thinner than the alien's body, and it's super grainy, but it does look like one of those kind of gray aliens, and it reaches out towards him, and the boy recoils. Oh, that's what happened. I couldn't even make out what was happening. Okay. Okay. Whitley says very dramatically, if it had touched him, this video would never have been made. Everyone concerned would have had missing time. They wouldn't have even known it had happened. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So then I start thinking, okay, so you're telling me that every single missing time story you've heard, they have not touched the alien. So it was not even a very impressive abduction story. Mm -hmm. But okay. So someone asked him to replay the clip. He can't. Technology breaks on him again. He can't rewind to the previous slide. Whatever. Uh, But then he wraps this up for us thematically. All of this activity, everything we've been talking about here, it's about the harvesting of souls, the exchange of souls, the freeing of souls. We're all going to be reborn. And some of us will have free souls, but some of us won't. Mm. And I want for everyone who listens to me, I want for them to have a free soul. Again, this is like very much like a pastor doing the altar call. Yeah, you do have a soul. And this is your primary reason for being. You are a master of the soul. Okay. Uh, And then he has additional stories. Like he's talking about the bodies. And he says that they've known about it for a long time. And he talks about this General Arthur Exon who was friends with my uncle, Edward Streber. And when they were young officers, again, he's like leaving out important details because he talks about like <laughs> holding of the bodies. But is it, was it someone that General Exon knew that held the body or was it Exon himself? I'm not sure Can about. we define the bodies? And, and then he tells us, my sister knew about this when she was young. I didn't learn about it until after communion. At my cousin's wedding. But- General Exon never told me about it directly. My uncle never told me about it directly, but I put two and two together. I'm like, what? Where where did this info come from? You've completely erased all of the pathways back to this original story. Oh, your storytelling is... (laughs) I hope your writing is better. 
Uh, it is, it is. And if you all vote for us to read the book, we'll... Okay, okay. The writing is definitely better. Good, I'm glad to hear that. He also said that there was a Reddit document that has something that resembles his feelings when he got abducted. And I was like, a Reddit document? Yeah, I found a few Reddit <laughs> threads that talk about <laughs> aliens producing smells. So it must have been one of them. Yeah. But yeah, he was saying how he personally had witnessed something in his own life where he saw an alien outside a window and it was exuding, and I don't know how he smelled through the window, but uh, ammonia smelling like gross substances oh, through yeah, its like skin. Feces, feces pools on its skin. Yeah. And apparently yeah. the Reddit document was saying other things about aliens, but it was saying Reddit that these document. EBOs, yeah, Reddit document, <laughs> Reddit thread, uh, was saying that EBOs don't have like proper digestive systems and so right. they just exude stuff <laughs> so gross through their skin okay and, pores. and that it's foul smelling and he's again just like that green light whitley says well there's no way they could have known that because i shared that with mm. my uncle or this general or whatever but they never told anyone and i never told anyone so there's no way they could have known this detail about aliens uh, yeah which is like it's sort of like sweat the theory is sort of like sweat mm-hmm. yeah. so i'm like okay <laughs> Okay, how close were your two pet theories? Mm-hmm. <sighs> and didn't tell me anything. And then he has another piece of data for us. They have extremely large amounts of type one muscle, the endurance muscle. There's oh, is two- that a type? Yeah, this there, there okay. are two types of muscle. Yeah, and like if you're a runner, you try to build up the endurance muscle. Okay. I, I wasn't aware of the numbers being assigned to them, but I've certainly heard this before. And then you have like your quick strength muscle. Okay. And he says that they, they are just replete with all of this muscle. And he knows this because he's been held from behind by these aliens Hell yeah, buddy. for a long period of time. <laughs> and he could struggle to get free, but they could just hold him like a vice for Oh, okay. All right. And not, so, not as fun as it sounded at first. I, he, who knows what was going on during that <laughs> embrace. But apparently this also for him verified the Reddit information. Like this has to be a real document because I can back up this one piece of information with my remembered personal experience. So he also said something really sweet that just really touched on how alone Whitley can feel. He said, there's nobody else out here doing this. I'm all alone. One of these days, yeah. these strange stories are going to be to your children and your grandchildren just part of ordinary life in the new world. Yeah, he was pleading with the audience, please stay with me. I'm, I'm all alone. And I was like, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, That's like, how I felt. You want to help him? I'll go yeah. to the archives with yeah, you. Yeah, I would. I'll tell your story. Oh, my God. I'll do it. I'll yeah. do it. 100%. We're in Whitley. Yeah, yeah. Please. So then he was pretty much done. He got a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. And then... Alan said, do you want a question? Do you want any question and answer? And Whitley was like, oh, they told me I couldn't. But okay, how about just one? Mm -hmm. And then picks the first person who shoots her arm up. And boy, did she biff it. (laughs) (laughs) Wasted opportunity. She did not have a question. She just wanted to have an interaction with him and tell him how much she loves him. And he is so great. And we all listened to that. Mm -hmm. And then I went up and got him to sign my copy of Communion. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little jealous. Last time I saw him at the previous Conscious Life Expo, I took a picture with him. I wish I had a signed copy of Communion. He sells them on his website. Which he will sign. He said anything directly from his website will come with a signature. That's unknowncountry.com. But uh, maybe I can wait and get him to sign it in person. And his podcast is... Dreamland. Dreamland. Yeah, he reminds us of all of that. <laughs> he also had this one last piece of data from the Crabwood Crabwood formation. Formation. Yeah. I, I don't know what that is. I didn't look it up. But he told us to beware those with false gifts and broken promises. Great. And I thought, hmm. Really helpful. That seems relevant 
for the UFO community. Yeah. Lots of promises going on about disclosure and technology. So when I got him to sign my book, there was a woman behind me in line and I recognized her, but I couldn't yeah? think of from where. Yeah. And she was like, do you want me to take a picture of you and Whitley? And oh. it was like, she had like a DSLR. So I'm thinking, well, it's just going to be on your camera, lady. But yeah. Okay. If this will if this will make you happy. I, <laughs> uh, maybe she just follows around Whitley Stuber and takes Here, let pictures. me hand okay. you my phone. Yeah. No, no. She was holding her DSLR like, I'm going to take it on this. It exists somewhere and, now. And so she took it. And then as I was leaving, she was like, hey, Carrie. Oh, listener. And she had taken this beautiful photo of <gasps> me and Whitley Strieber, Aww. which I'll share. And her name is Jill Simpson. And she- Jill, re- you had a plan. <laughs> it all makes sense now. And so I wanted to say what her impression was because she stayed for this whole $50 talk. Yeah. She said, I totally wanted a photo with Whitley. I got one after you. I mean, he's the OG alien abduction guy. Yeah. Communion was my introduction yeah. to that whole phenomenon when I was a teenager. That book was everywhere, even in little English bookshops. She's English. Oh. I was quite surprised at the small turnout for this lecture. I thought he'd draw a much bigger crowd. Yeah, about how many people were in there? So I went back to my notes and looked and there were 57 attendees okay and i wrote down that uh in the carmel room yeah, yeah that's not full and and i wrote down that my guess of ratio of women to men was one to one which is uncommon okay. the okay. alien guys seem to get a lot more men yeah yeah that's true mm-hmm. absolutely yeah the whole rabbit hole crowd is definitely more more male represented with the men yeah yep Interesting. Well, that was fun. That was fun. Catching up with Whitley. Yeah, tell us if you want us to read Communion or if you're like, I get it. A guy thinks he was abducted by aliens. Okay, I'll remember to put those in the polls. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Those will be the two options. And I'll, I'll share that video footage as well. I'll put that up on the uh, Facebook page so you can see it. Uh, all right, well, that's it for this episode. But boy, do we have some really wild stories to tell you uh, coming up. We sure do. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. This episode was edited by Ross Blotcher at the last minute. Thank you, Ross. And you can support us. You can help make this show possible at MaximumFun.org slash join. But guess what? We've got Maximum Fun coming up in the next month or so. Max Fun Drive. That's a good time to do it. Should we say uh, our special event that we're doing? Or do we wait? Do we wait? Maybe we wait. We let's wait. wait. But there is something. Oh, Carrie's wait. doing but amazing uh, things with her hands right now. They're all over the place. <laughs> You can also support us by telling a friend. Telling an alien. Telepathically. Tell the first alien. The first alien. To listen to OnRack. Yeah. Get us our first alien listener and we'll put you on the show. Absolutely. And remember. To give you a flavor of what a new world will really be like, it will be much bigger. You, you will be much bigger in this world than you are now because you're living with blinders on, believe me. They're going to take those blinders off. That's what it is to be born. Is you come out of the womb and all of a sudden, light everywhere. What are you going to do? You can't see straight. But you can. Actually, you can. You can do fine. We'll do fine. All right, let's see. The following are real reenactments of pretend emergency calls. 911. My husband! It's my husband! Calm down, please. What about your husband? He, he loads the dishwasher wrong. Please help! Please help me! Where are you now, ma'am? At the kitchen table. I was with my dad. He mispronounced his words. Intention.
There are plenty of podcasts on the hunt for justice, but only one podcast has the courage to take on the silly crimes. Judge John Hodgman, the only true crime podcast that won't leave you feeling sad and bad and scared for once. Only on MaximumFun.org. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.